0: I worked for a guy who could look you in the eye, and somehow you felt that if you didn't make it with this guy, you would never make it anywhere in the world. If somehow he didn't love you, if he did not accept you, embrace you, and in some way, shape, or form show that he has placed you in his great book of those who have made it with him, you would never, ever possibly exist outside of it. Oh, no. Guy rose inexorably, became a U.S. senator, and is now today a very famous and important judge. Look you right in the eye. I don't know what it is. But then, of course, I've had this trouble for a long time. I, I, I'm a constant observer of cracks in the sidewalk. I like to see how those cracks go back and forth. Somehow they make patterns, you know. They, they, they make shapes. I like to look at the sides of old buildings where you can see old signs that have been erased, of old movies and ancient stage plays and, and, and old advertising campaigns that fizzled out like all of them do in the end, you know. And and I'm a collector of this sort of trivia. Of course, this has never been and never will be listed on the big board of human achievements. But, uh, you know, some of us get hung up on one thing, others get hung up on another. Like I received this letter that said in a testy voice, I am a shaft left definitely. I I refuse to accept. I'm a a veritable pillar of strength in our neighborhood. I am noted as one of the leading... Li- oh, there's a terrible letter that went on and on and on. Just, will you please get that schizophrenic raving of Mr. Shepard off the radio and put on some nice man playing nice music? Which, of course, is a schizophrenic manifestation, if I ever heard of it in our time. A nice man playing nice music. And all the while, the tom-toms are beating just beyond the next dark cloud. Now, stop a minute here, madam. Stop. Hold on. Uh, you, you know, when when you begin to collect these little these little bits of trivia, you begin to see that that they do have a universality and some kind of a deep sinister meaning. Because I have a suspicion that within the heart of man there lies this beautiful irreverent creature, this creature that is constantly going tattoo, you know, right out of the corner of the mouth and chews a very cheap brand of chewing tobacco never smokes anything that has any kind of a filter on it at all, and has been known to blow its nose in its sleeve. Now, that, now this is the only side of man, of course, that really has any actual value. And it's the side of man that we are always pushing down constantly. And, and, and the more a person becomes aware of this, the more a person works hard to pre- prevent anyone from knowing he or she has this side. And so they develop all kinds of little tricks, mannerisms of walk, Official looks on the face, wobbling jowls, all sorts of things that denote and connote in our time respectability. But nevertheless, you cannot beat it down. It rises. It rises. That little creature shall rise. he shall rise again. <laughs> yes. And, and there's hardly anything today that is really, in a sense, more respectable than the newscast. I mean, it speaks of great events and great people. As though our world, your world, my world, was a a series of enormous shows being played on some stage, uh, removed thousands of miles from us. Mr. Kennedy makes a statement. Mr. Khrushchev makes counter-statement. Bandit Nehru makes a statement. And then there's another statement made by King Farouk. And back and forth go these gigantic balloons. And all the while, you're having a problem with your knee, you know. And all the while, you continue to catch a cold of your soul. It's sniffling. And once in a while, this little creature goes, (coughs) (coughs) and it's chewing tobacco like mad. And, of course, your face is the face of a proper viewer. Did you hear what Les Smith said in the middle of his, his newscast? He's giving this commercial for TV Guide. And it came out of my monitor speaker like, like two little twin ice picks shoo, stuck right in the wall there, right over Peggy's cat pictures. Hung there, the truth. Peggy's cat paintings and Les Smith's Moe, right in the middle of the, of the TV Guide commercial. He says, yes, TV Guide will make you enjoy TV more because it will enable you to understand it better. <laughs> I think the problem with TV is that most people understand it only too well. I mean, you know. <laughs> and so I says, "Yes, yes, that's right." Now, if, if 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 TV Guide would come out with an issue of what TV really means, oh, there would be fighting, fist fights down in front of Rockefeller Center. By three o'clock the afternoon, the magazine hit the stands. Foundations would crumble. What is it about? All right, I'm. I'll tell you. One of those moments, you know, you you have about four moments in your life when you really see something happen that you never thought you would see happen. I'm down on 23rd, waiting at the station there, waiting for the train to come along, the subway, shifting one one foot to the other, you know, just, you know how, you're in your waiting face, you know, waiting for Buzz, standing in the elevator face, you know, the whole business where you're sort of in limbo, hanging there, and I see this old doll go past me, a, 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 a real one, you know, I mean, a genuine shraft lady. There were little crumbs of lemon cookie clinging to her thin mustache. as she went past me, you know, carrying her net shopping bag. She walked along the side. It was one of these tile places, you know. Some of the subways have tiles all along with with about every 10 feet. There's a big advertising thing hanging there. And she's walking along, and I see she's stopping at every third or fourth ad and looking very closely to it and sort of squinching up. And I see what she's doing. She is writing things on these ads for crying out loud. Yes, I saw it, and I, and I could hardly wait, you know, to, to finally she disappears around a peanut machine, and I go up to the one she has just left, and it's an ad for a lipstick. You know, it's this chick sitting there, you know, and she's looking out at us, and the whole business about the Revlon. And and right next to the lipstick, she has written, "Bela Lugosi is dead." I said, yeah. <coughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and further on down, this, this one, there was one that said, it's beautiful, it said, to support mental health, and she put a little slash next to it and said, like crazy, man. I'm telling you, I saw this, you're thinking I'm making this up. This old doll was doing this, so she got on a train that was going 4,000 miles out of the way where I was going, and I got on right with her, I just watched her. She didn't crack a smile. <laughs> <laughs> Bela Lugosi is dead. Well, I saw this. I, and I just want you to know that I feel that this is far more significant, this, far more significant the, in the total significant sense than anything, anything Nehru has said for the last six months, than anything Khrushchev will say for the next four years, and I think anything any of us are going to say for the next ten. Bela Lugosi is dead. She wrote this right next to this chick, and there it was, hanging there. She wrote a fantastic one on an ad for wine, which I cannot repeat here. It's much too early and much too late for it. If that sounds like a contradiction, it is. As a matter of fact, most everything is a contradiction. It's like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've I, been collecting. I, I'm just going to have to do this. I mean, it's late, you know, and then, I saw this cartoon and it shows this guy standing next to a fluoroscope. You know what is it a fluoroscope, you know, where they can look through you? And it's like a, a portable X ray machine and there are two doctors standing and one doctor say you see this guy see and his back is to the fluoroscope and they're looking at his at his neck and his head. And you see inside of his head you see about nine big lumps. Just lumps in a little cluster. And one doctor seen to the other. He's whispering, "Rocks." <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, the truth of the matter has to come out sometime, and and there it is. I mean, whether or not TV Guide likes it, there it is. Rocks. <laughs> and so I have decided, against my better judgment, to to bring back a character I used to do many eons ago. Uh, when oh, speaking of of uh, of rocks in the skull, this is W O R A M and F M New York. And we will be here until 12 midnight, just before LJ hits the air. And and incidentally, we have with us a sponsor, Prexy. And if you're sculling about tonight, looking for a place where you can grab a hamburger and a dish of fantastic soft ice cream, I would suggest you try Prexy's all up and down Lexington at 61st. They've got one at 48th. There's about eight of them up and down Lexington in the 40s and in the 50s and 60s. And then there's a There's a a good one right down in the village at 6th Avenue and 8th Street. Right around the corner. Now, listen to this. I want you to dig this. Right around the corner next to the paper book gallery this Saturday, Prexy is opening a new setup, a wild new setup just for village types. And among other things they have there, in addition to their hamburgers, with the educated uh, thing, you know. You know, every time I hear about this this, this hamburger with the college education i think of at least forty five guys i know Uh, i mean i hate to don't look at me so dully you if you're if you got a deadpan send it that way dear (laughs) i i i'm constantly having this problem of running into my friends in the ads whether it be for cemeteries on long island or canoes available by mail but nevertheless prexies is making available this saturday for any only for guys who come in and say excelsior they're having their big opening day Saturday, which is, this is right on 6th Avenue at 8th Street. Come in and merely whisper, Excelsior, don't shout it out for crying out loud. The one thing that the guys down at Prexy said is do not have them say it loudly. They don't want to cause any trouble down there with the paying customers. They understand that at least 90% of the people who listen to this show can't rub two dimes together. And most of them are eking out calories. 900 calorie diets, Ha! Most of the people I know who listen to this have been on an 800-calorie diet for years, and not because they wanted to be, either. I would suggest that you drop in the prexies this coming Saturday, any time during the day, and even all the way till 2 in the morning, and just say to the guy behind the counter, Excelsior, he will go back behind the counter and whip you up a strawberry shortcake with real strawberries and with a great big globet of soft ice cream. It's fantastic. This will give you enough calories to last all the way till the time Kerouac's next book comes out, where you can get more food and sustenance for your soul. Ha! Uh, this is Excelsior at Prexies. It's on 6th Avenue, right by, you know, where A Street, right next to the paper book gallery. Okay. Now, I'm, now, now Ed, you're going to have to listen. This is a very serious proposition we're doing here. We are going to do now something that I have threatened to do for a long time. Long, ages ago. It's funny, you know. Uh, early, well, I, I don't. Sometimes, you know, you do things, terrible things in your life. Now, listen, uh, you have to listen to this, that you're inevitably ashamed of. Things that you don't even want to admit to yourself that you did. And after you have done them, you, you kind of you shake your head a little bit. <clears throat> well, maybe do that. And then about two weeks later, you pretend you didn't do it. And about Six years later, you don't believe you did it, and you will deny it to your dying day. Well, one time I'm working in this little radio station. I'm a beardless youth of 18, and it was a one-man radio station. I I, I was a, I operated the transmitter, an old Western Electric. I sold time over the phone. I I pulled records. I did every radio show from morning till night, from 7 a.m. to 7 o'clock at night when we went off. We were on only 12 hours a day. I did everything. And I had a different character and a different name for every radio show that I did. In the morning... I was a sort of Don McNeil character, you know. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We're going to read our favorite. We're going to read our favorite prayer for you now. And don't forget, folks. In just thirty seconds, it's going to be March time. Time for you to march around your old bed. There. The time now is seven thirty-six. The temperature is forty-one degrees. This is Old Friendly Fred. And I'd go on like that for two hours, you see. And then at eight o'clock, Friendly Fred would say, "We'd like you to stay tuned for the news with." with Mr. Grubbage, H.G. Grubbage, who follows in just a few moments. So long, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. La, 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 my recorded theme would come on. Then I would have my announcer voice. W-K-L-U-C-K, Algonquin, Illinois, where iron meets coal in the heart of the Fox River Valley. Next, H.B. Grubbage and the news. Mr. Grubbage is brought to you each day at this same time by your favorite White Castle. And now, here he is, H.V. Grubbage and the news. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Americans everywhere. I had all these voices, and I used to work like mad at these things, and the one thing that I, I felt after having done these newscasts for a long time is that nobody ever really does news, not the real news that has lasting significance. And so, over the past two weeks, I have been culling little bits and pieces from various New York newspapers That will give you a kind of cross-section of what mankind really is up to. The news that is really happening. Wouldn't it be great if they had newscasts like this all the time? Please, give me my mood music now. Mankind's striving. Good morning, Americans everywhere. And now, the news. First, a bulletin from La Iowa. Two women driving down the highway saw a cow peering out of the second story of a farmhouse. When they had recovered from their shock, they reported the incident. The cow was restored to its owner. Another note, this time a news note on the spiritual front that comes from Italy. The sun burst gloriously through the clouds over Mont Blanc today and all was right for the world but not for members of a religious sect encamped here. They had expected the earth to roll off its axes. Precisely at 2.45 p.m., women screamed and a Tyrolean in leather shorts began blowing a bugle representing the trumpet of, of doom. At 2.46, the screaming and bugling ceased and the leader of the doomsday cult admitted, we made a mistake. The leader, Dr. Elio Bianca, a Milan, or as they say in Italy, a Milan pediatrician, had rounded up his followers and had taken them to a chalet on the peak to await what he had said was going to be the end of the world. The man blowing the bugle was not identified. A news note now from Germany. A United States Army helicopter last night rotted a vast number of starlings that had damaged the wine harvest in the Rhineland. The craft flew below treetop level, flashing searchlights at the birds as villagers set off firecrackers. A note from Aurora, Ontario. Uh... A war is being waged in that town against 1,000 starlings after attempts to get rid of the birds by fire hoses failed. Weekend shoots are now being arranged to get rid of the pests. Another note from Canada, this time from Victoria, British Columbia. The slogan, Follow the Birds to Victoria, that helped bring over 11 million tourists to Victoria over a period of 39 years, has been dropped by tourist officials of Victoria. The new slogan is, Victoria, gateway to Canada's treasure island. It seems that a few birds also took the advice of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Another note uh, from England. The thief got away with his loot all right, but he can't hang on to it. Seven of the 23 racing pigeons he abducted have already flown home. And by an odd coincidence, we have a note from Squaw Valley. One of the best laid plans for the late Winter Olympics, it seems, went awry. 2,000 homing pigeons were released at the opening day ceremony in Squaw Valley last winter. Over 7,000 pigeons now occupy the stadium. Only 2,000 of them are considered to be original settlers. Uh, Avery Brundage was contacted. The boss of the International Olympic Committee said, Yes, I did notice some of them are still hanging around. We have no answer to the problem. Another news note for you. Uh, If you are a follower of various sporting activities around the globe, a three-member skin-diving expedition took off from International Airport yesterday for the Dead Sea, where it hopes to find the five lost cities mentioned in the Bible, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adman, Sibolan, and Zohar. The group includes several prominent theologians. Other sporting news, a test model of the revolutionary Ryan Vertiplane, designed to take off like a helicopter and level off in normal flight, crashed today for the second time in a year. The pilot, the second time he has crashed in this airplane, Glenn W. Stinnett of San Jose, California, bailed out from an estimated 1,000 feet. He says he will try again. There are now 29 gargoyles for sale at bargain prices on Newark's main thoroughfare, if anyone wants one. Uh, One lady, however, spent over two hours looking for a special gargoyle, she said, that she needed for a special purpose. She lives across the street from the Soviet consulate, a woman who is prominent in industrial circles. She wanted to have two ugly gargoyles mounted on her fire escape, to peer at the Russians from her terrace. She said later, I couldn't find the right expression. She left disappointed. Uh, Here's a handy hint or kink for those of you who feel that life isn't quite what it should be. An egg timer placed beside you while making a long-distance telephone call will let you know when your three minutes is up. And now, news notes from all over. Two men purchased overshoes within minutes at a Salida... Colorado bootery both wrote checks. Later, the merchant, preparing a bank statement, noticed the names. One was keen, the other able. Uh, Darmar Dinik of the Yugoslav town of Aleksinac won a lottery prize, giving him a free bus ride to the provincial capital of Nis. Dinik is the driver of the bus, which makes the daily run to Nis between the two towns. He said, however, he will use his award. A full-grown musk of uh, the muskosk herds, the musk is the name, of course, of the actual male of that species of Canada's far north and the Arctic Islands, may weigh up to 900 pounds. The female sometimes tilts the scales at well over four tons. A 53-year-old engineer was arrested by FBI agents last night. A late news note here. Uh, Tells us the information. He told an airline clerk at Midway Airport in Chicago that he had a bomb in a bag. The engineer, Robert Kerry Clark of Raytown, Missouri, was charged by the FBI with making a false bomb report at an airport. He was held in jail for arraignment before a U.S. commissioner. The conviction of that crime carries a maximum penalty of $1,000 fine and one year in prison. After his bag was dunked in water and opened, they found that it contained a small toupee. Well, nothing escapes a woman. Mrs. Jerry Pulliam of Sterling, Colorado, doesn't agree. She is more than, however, slightly embarrassed. She says that she did not discover for two days that her husband had shaved off his large handlebar mustache. He is now suing for divorce. Dallas Zoo director Pierre Fontaine has answered a nationwide plea for a method to zip up the appetite of a Memphis catfish. Give him a bottle of beer. This was given him as advice by an old Memphis resident who says that he feeds the catfish in his neighborhood. He lives near a river, beer every morning. He says they are growing larger by the week. Uh, Here is information and news of the business community. Talk. Nine miles east of Reno, Nevada. The Pacific Telephone Company said 4,000 message circuits and 480 teletype circuits were cut off all over the world by the farmer's plow. It took them over three hours to get the mess straightened out. And now a final note. A sign on a trash barrel in St. Paris, Ohio, makes one stop and think. It says, empty when full. So goes the news. H.V. Grubbage reporting. Good evening, Americans. tendency to put these little notes aside and say, none of the... Oh, of course, is this is the trivial. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, I would tell you about... Of course, Philadelphia is particularly prone to this. That, uh... I must say this. That wherever things seem to be growing dark and despondent, it's an old human tendency. That whenever things seem to be getting beyond the let's say beyond the the light of understanding immediate understanding the suspicion begins to grow among many people that the world is coming to an end this has this has been since time immemorial it it began it began well, in the first earliest writings that were found in caves there was talk of the world coming to an end and of course many times you see it today in the in the editorial columns that it looks like we're about to Of course, now we're saying that we're going to destroy the world. But then again, the we is a kind of inexplicable thing within us that is going to destroy the world. It isn't destiny that's going to destroy the world. Somehow, it's us and that strange little creature within us. But nevertheless, the same thing remains. The world is about to be destroyed. Whenever something can't be explained, people immediately... This kind kind of rises out of the marsh a little sign that says, Repent, the world is coming to an end. And then the hand goes back into the marsh and disappears. And then as soon as the trouble, and that's in capital letters, disappears, this is forgotten. Well, as a matter of fact, one of the most interesting manifestations of this that I ever heard of took place in Philadelphia. Ever tell you a story about that? My friend, uh, one time he was involved in a group that said that the world was coming to an end? Well, this has happened in Philadelphia time and time again because Philadelphia almost by nature is inexplicable. Uh, it is, it is uh, incomprehensible. Having lived in Philadelphia for several years myself, I understand the dark forebodings that occasionally move to the soul of a Philadelphian. Now, I'll point out that immediately in the in the morning mail, I will get a shrill letter that will say, I'm an ex-Philadelphian, and I resent what you said about Philadelphia. you notice they always say, I'm an ex-Philadelphian? I'm an ex-Philadelphian, and I resent what you say about Philadelphia. I lived in Philadelphia for over seven years. I've been living here in New York for 35 years, and it's rotten, rotten, rotten. If I can ever get back to Philadelphia, Dad, I'm going to go. Poor, sad, silly blowing of horns in the darkness you know you're not going to go back. You can go back any time you want. There they go. There goes another one. In, in in 17 minutes, a train will be leaving Penn Station every hour on the hour bound for the city of brotherly love. All you got to do is get them old walking shoes going. And then about every five minutes, a letter will arrive from from Philadelphia. Amen, Shepard! Amen, brother! I hear you talking! I can't understand! The darkness is closing in! This guy's still there. Well, of course, we all have a a terrible, terrible nostalgia for wherever it is we came from. Long John, hey, Long John, are you listening? If anybody tells, if anybody hears Long John tonight and can get in touch with him by phone, Long John, you misquoted me fantastically last night. Long John on his program said, Gene Shepard is, is always talking about how great things were in the old days. I have never once said that. Have I? Never. In fact, I am constantly saying quite the opposite. It was rotten in the old days. <laughs> you just won't admit it. And, and often when I describe how rotten it was, this is mistaken by many people for me saying it was good. Interestingly enough, any time you mention something that happened beyond past 1953, they say, oh, those were the days. Oh, those wonderful days. You can hear the sound of cud chewing from block to block as people say, oh, those were the days. And and, and they're not listening to anything you're saying. You're saying, rotten, rotten. They were terrible, rotten. Up to my neck. You You know, I have a feeling that the earth is covered with a thick layer of viscous liquid. There is a common street corner name for it. I cannot discuss the name here at this point, but I think all of you know what I'm talking about. It's not really a liquid, but it's a thick coating of it. And and man's talk, man's constant hoopla consists merely of making various formations of this particular vast liquid cloud that that is getting thicker and thicker on the earth. He piles it up in pyramid shapes and then he makes it into interesting various other types of symbolic shapes, moving it back and forth. And all the while, he refuses to concede that the material he's working with is bad from the beginning. (laughs) Time tied in the affairs of man shall contrive to undo him. It's as though the world has a vast zipper and somehow it's left it unzipped in a very, very crucial and very embarrassing time. That's another story. So, so just the other day, I'm sitting there reading a, reading a little news note that came out of Philadelphia. It seems that outside of Philadelphia, in one of the, in one of the little suburbs out there, without any warning, a crack appeared in the ground. Just like that. A crack. Well, they filled it in. Five minutes later, another crack appeared ten feet away. And they filled that in. And this is a very swinging, hip, wealthy type suburban development, you know, where they have the big sign that says, Enjoy the good life here. I mean the good life is here and you'll live forever, happily, ever after here, in your wonderful little Breezeway ranch type cottage. Living, <laughs> I'll never forget the sad sign I saw outside of Philadelphia. There was a there was a, a field that had been plowed and had been smoothed over, had been run over by bulldozers, every blade of grass had been removed. It was a field that stretched for about nine miles, as far as the eye could see. I need it's like the top of a giant billiard table. And there was a big sign that had been built there. It says, to be erected here very shortly, California ranch-type cliff houses. There wasn't a cliff within 14,000 miles. California was 3,000 miles away, and there wasn't a ranch within 2,000 miles. Somehow... On the plains outside of Philadelphia, on that red mud, they were going to erect a California ranch-type cliff house. (laughs) uh, The inexplicable. No wonder they believe that the end of the world is coming any minute now there along Broad Street. And so what happened is that these little cracks began to appear, and they began to sh- Of course, the, the promoters got over there, and they're filling it up full of all kinds of stuff, trying old bed springs, and they throw more dirt into it, and they cover it up, and then five minutes later, another crack appears, this time right across the sidewalk and across one of the streets. Well, they couldn't keep the news out of the papers or out of the word of mouth of the Philadelphians. Within ten minutes, people began to gather, and they're watching the cracks. And the word got out that the world was coming to an end. It was going to crack in half. <laughs> well, of course, three or four publicity men and two PR men got on the job immediately and said, no, these cracks actually were a publicity stunt. That what they were, it was just to attract attention. But that didn't fool anyone. One of the PR men was caught in one of the cracks and disappeared forever. Nothing but screaming could be heard. He fell all the way to the bottom of the earth. Didn't fool anyone. You see what he did. He got down in the hole and he said, "Watch, see this. Is the, it ends right here." Whoop! He was gone. The earth closed up and swallowed them, and they all claimed that they could hear chewing. I mean, they suspect anything is going to happen there in Philadelphia any minute. Dad, and and who? Like the other day, I'm looking at old copies of the Times. I just leaf through them, you know, to keep things straight. And have you have you ever read the advertising news, news in the Times? In the New York, it was a beautiful little college. Some of the funniest stuff, the real news about how we're doing, comes out of this one. And reading, a guy named Robert Alden writes this. I do not know Mr. Alden, except that he writes some awfully funny stuff. I don't know whether he knows he's being funny or whether he's just funny because advertising almost by definition is funny because it plays upon the hopes and fears of the giant calliope, a man's inability to cope here here was one it shows a picture of a <laughs> shows a picture of a fisherman see you know the the big strong type guy covered with with oil skins and he's holding a great big can of sardines in his hand an enormous can and it's the cover of a of a comic book the comic book is called Ricky and Debbie in Sardine Land i thought you might know that this is about to happen i will read it to you a major promotional effort with a special twist will be started in maine or in May, rather, on behalf of Maine sardine industry. The special twist involves the fact that the Maine Sardine Council is directing its principal effort at children. The council is distributing 200,000 four-color, eight-page comic books that tell something of the romance of the sardine industry. Appropriately, the comic book is entitled Ricky and Debbie in Sardine Land. Uh, would you like a uh, brief moment of meditation? And while you're meditating, I will play something that will aid your meditation, an old favorite. could this occur. From one of my favorite humor humor papers, the Sunday Bulletin, I read. The headline reads, Statue of Babe Ruth draws only one bid at auction. George Herman, Babe Ruth, swung his mighty bat once again last night, but only one person was interested. The Bambino, or rather a six-foot-tall plaster of Paris likeness, was displayed before some 200 ice cream and pie eating spectators at the regular saturday night auction in bonnie bray park on route 83 about four miles north of phoenixville just outside of philadelphia auctioneer richard J. moyer said the sultan of swat had stood in a corner of a barn in sunbury pa before he was found by one of his agents and brought to bonnie bray park the statue Hand-molded over a wire frame was mailed in Baltimore when the babe was in his prime. The statue is grimy now, and there's a small hole in back of the left knee. But there's a look of intense glory about the face, and the fingers on the bat haven't crumbled. Auctioneer Moyer pointed out the statue's finer points. One is that it separates at the waist for easy carrying. And that's always important in a statue. He asked the bids to start at $100. And there on the platform stood Babe Ruth, grimy, but his face wreathed in glory. Six feet one inches tall, the Babe stood clasping a plaster of Paris Louisville slugger, which was held at ready. He was in his half-crouched batting stance, with those thick calves and graceful ankles, ready to sprint around the keystone sack. The bidding began. The auctioneer said, All right, let's have the first bid. Let's have the first bid. The first bid. The first bid. We're starting here at $100. $100. $100. Who's going to make it $100? Let's see the first bid. The first bid. The first bid. $100. $100. $100. $100. Am I bid $100? $100, $100. Who's going to start the bidding? Dead silence. One of America's great heroes stood alone and unwanted in the glare of the white lights. Who's going to bid $100, $100? I'm going to make it $100, $100, $100. Who's going to bid? He stopped. Another period of silence. And finally, a small voice from somewhere near the back of the crowd said, 25 cents. The auctioneer didn't say a word. He looked down over the crowd and said, What did you say? The man repeated his bid. With that, the auctioneer, with an imperious wave of his hand, said, Take the babe away. No one's getting him for a quarter. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have item number 17 on the stand. Item number 17 is a large wooden pig. Equipped with stirrups, equipped with a leather saddle, this pig weighs well over 650 pounds and is six and a half feet long. How much am I bid for this wooden pig? We are going to start the bidding at $100, $100, $100, $100, $100. Immediately, three people said, I'll make it $150. I've got 150 150 dollars for this wooden pig over six and a half feet long. He weighs 450 pounds. We'll make it 175 185 195. The pig went for three hundred ten dollars. And then the auctioneer closed the bidding. the lights were turned out and another American saga another chapter in our history was closed. Only in Philadelphia. And somewhere right now at this very minute, old oh friends, oh, fellow supplers, in the dark, dank, cold, dingy warehouse of a Philadelphia auctioneer stands a six-foot, one-inch statue, a life-size statue of George Herman... Bambino, babe, king of swat, Ruth, Holding a plaster of Paris Louisville slutter. A look of fierce determination playing about his jaws as he looks into the darkness of a deserted warehouse. The spot next to him is empty. Where once resided a 450-pound wooden pig that was purchased by one of the parishioners. Babe Ruth is looking out into the darkness now and looking right into your eyes. Are you worthy of him, huh? Or are you worthy of a wooden pig, weight 450 pounds, equipped with stirrups and leather saddle, huh? Suitable for man or boy. How would you like to have a six-foot, three-inch statue of, uh, Ted Kluszewski? with torn sleeves, with that sad look playing about the eyes. Or maybe Jackie Jensen, or how about uh, Oris Hocken, second-rate infielder, utility type for the Boston Braves, who never made it, standing there with a look of stark sheer terror, playing about his plaster of Paris' eyes. Five foot, eleven inch frame drenched in plaster sweat as he's about to go up to hit against schoolboy row, knowing he'll never make it. Lucky if he gets a loud foul. Oris Hocker, who spent 22 seasons in the minors. Maybe that would be a better statue. Maybe they would have bid on that one, huh? Ah, <speaking in Spanish> How much do you think they'd bid on a statue of you, made of plaster of Paris, equipped with the tools of your trade, genuine paper-made ballpoint pen held in your plaster hand, clutching a requisition form from the stock room, seated at your old battered desk with that same worried look on your face? How much do you think they would, ah, have no fear? Have no fear. It's all going to be okay. Just keep that in mind that tomorrow night, it's going to be all right. Just breathe deeply. Keep your gut pulled in. Keep your knees loose. Keep your fanny down. And it'll be all right. All right.